Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. I heard about an irate uh, woman who called the newspaper office and loudly complaining about why she didn't receive her Sunday paper. And the fellow at the newspaper office said, uh, ma'am, today's Saturday. We won't be delivering the Sunday paper until tomorrow. There was a long pause and she said, I bet that's why nobody was at church today too. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Not specifically that, but have you ever been so sure of yourself? I mean, you were just positive that you were right, that you had it figured out, that you knew what was going on, and you were just so confident in yourself only to find out that you were completely wrong, only to find out that you were way off base and really didn't know what was going on. Has that, has that ever happened to anybody else? It happens to me all the time. You know, and I got to think it's probably happened to most of you as well. In fact, it's something that seems to kind of happen by way of human nature. And if I were to ask you to come up with some people in the Bible who thought they had it all figured out, who thought they were completely capable, who thought that they, they very well understood exactly what was going on only to find out that they were way off base, we could come up with a pretty long list of names, couldn't we? Because Scripture is filled with fallible men and, and fallible women as well. People, humans, who kind of get it wrong. And the truth is, in the Bible, God's always the hero. Period. End of story. God's always the hero. And again, human nature kind of makes that sometimes bother us just a little bit. Because sometimes I want to be the hero. You know, sometimes I might get tired of always being the needy one. Always being the one who needs rescued. Always being the one who's broken. Sometimes it would be nice to be the hero. And so sometimes we start to think to ourselves, if I just tried harder, if I just was a little more focused, a little more committed, if I just got it right, completely right, I could be the hero for a change. But the Bible offers a little bit of a different view. This morning we're going to take a look at one of the most spectacular failures in all of Scripture. And it's a failure from one of Jesus' most trusted, most celebrated disciples, a guy by the name of Peter. A couple of weeks ago, you'll remember, we took a look at the life of Andrew. Andrew was a fellow in Scripture, not a whole lot said about him, but every time we read about Andrew, he's bringing someone to Jesus. And when Andrew meets Jesus, one of the very first things he does is go and finds his brother Peter and brings Peter to Jesus. For the next three years, Peter is going to stay at pretty much the epicenter of Jesus' public ministry. Really, no one has spent more time with Jesus you know, during his ministry than does Peter. And we're going to pick up this story pretty much at the end of Jesus' life. Just after the Passover meal, Jesus has spent some time in an upper room with his uh, 12 apostles. Some things have already taken place, but we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 26. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to pick it up in verse 31 of that chapter. Then Jesus told them, he's talking to his apostles, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, 
even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus tells these closest followers of his, tonight you're all going to fall away on account of me. And Peter speaks up and says, wait a minute, not all of us. Not all of us are going to fall away. Jesus, I never will. Everybody else might, but not me. Verse 34. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Remember a couple weeks ago I talked about Jesus had a habit of saying, I tell you the truth, and it wasn't a catchphrase. It was Jesus saying, I know what I'm talking about here. I tell you the truth. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Now, you sort of got to like Peter's sincerity here. And you sort of have to admire Peter's passion. You know, you can be a little bit oppressed with his bravado and his self-confidence. Peter never does anything halfway. He's a very intense individual. And I have no doubt when Peter said, not me, I will die with you first, I have no doubt that Peter was being very sincere. And I believe Peter's heart was in the right place when he was making these statements. But we know how the story plays out. We know that Peter is making some statements that he can't possibly back up. We hear Peter say these things and we sort of cringe, don't we? I'll never leave you. I'll never fall away. And it almost is unsettling to us. Because in his overconfidence, Peter does a couple pretty foolish things. Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter actually does some foolish things long before the rooster crows. For example, before the rooster crows, Peter puts himself ahead of all the other disciples. He's in a room with these men, these, these followers of Jesus who have spent three years with Jesus. They're a pretty tight group. And Jesus tells all of these men, this very night you'll all fall away. Peter looks around the room and says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And really what Peter is doing is he's looking around the room and he sees, here's James, and here's John, and here's my brother Andrew, and, you know, and here's Matthew. You know what, Jesus, maybe these clowns can't hang with you, but I can. You know, they might fall away, but, but you don't have to worry about me. This is such pure pride on Peter's part. Peter is saying, I can do what these other men can't do. And I can be what these other men can't be. A competition between the, the apostles is nothing new. Several times they've kind of dealt with, who's going to be the greatest apostle? But here Peter's taking it to a whole different level. Peter is telling Jesus, I'm going to be the last guy standing. Everyone else is going to fall through. Everybody else is going to fall. But Jesus, I'm your guy. I'm your man. You can count on me. I'm going to be there for you. And I'm going to be there with you. Second thing that Peter does before the rooster, he's obviously trusting in his own strength. Now, when you talk about human ability, never say never, Peter very boldly proclaims, I will never disown you. But again, we know that's a claim that he can't back up. Somehow, Peter believes that he's strong enough 
to withstand temptations that he really knows nothing about. He has no idea the kind of temptation that's going to be coming towards him. Now, I remember I used to watch people make decisions, and I thought, I would never do that. But the truth is, I don't know what I'd do, because I've never been in that situation. Maybe I've never been faced with that temptation. Peter's never been faced with the temptation that's coming, but he is so sure that in his own mind, in his own heart, by his own strength, he's going to be able to handle it. He's completely trusting in his own strength. Peter suggests that I'm the exception to Jesus' prediction. He promises this unwavering support. But it's all based on human uh, assumptions. And then the third thing that, that Peter does before the rooster, he directly contradicts Jesus. Not once, but twice. Peter tells Jesus, I'm right, you're wrong. You say this is going to happen, I say it's not going to happen. You say this is how it's going to play out, but I'm telling you that is not how it's going to play out. Peter directly contradicts Jesus, which is a dangerous place to be. Very dangerous thing to contradict the Lord. Now, I want you to stop for just a minute and think, what, what's Jesus thinking about right now? What's, what's going through Jesus' mind? Is he and Peter having this conversation? Peter is telling him so boldly, I'm not going to leave you, I'm not going to forsake you, I'm your guy. What's going through Jesus' mind? Well, Peter, you've been with me for three years. Have you not learned anything yet? Now, Peter, I just washed your feet and you sort of made a fool out of yourself then. Maybe you ought to quit while you're ahead. Maybe this isn't the time to keep talking. Now, I don't know what's going through Jesus' mind as, as he and Peter have in this conversation. But I do know how Peter or how Jesus replied. Luke's account tells us. Luke chapter 22. Here's what Luke says about this account. In verse 31, this is Jesus speaking. Simon, Simon, which I think is very interesting. Jesus doesn't address him as Peter. He doesn't address him as Cephas. He goes all the way back to his original name. Simon, Simon. There's a lot of the old you still in there, isn't there? Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. I don't know what Jesus was thinking as he had this conversation with Peter, but I know what he did. He prayed for Peter. He prayed that Peter's strength or faith would be strengthened. And that after this rooster moment, Peter would still be focused on kingdom things. Now, what was it that made Peter respond so strongly? What was it that made Peter pipe up and say, no, no, not me, I wouldn't do that. I'll never do that. And part of it's probably just his personality, and that's who Peter was. But I think there's some other reasons maybe why Peter responded with such, uh, such veracity. Responded in, in such an overt way. And, and maybe, you know, like the rest of us, maybe Peter didn't want to face his own weakness. Well, nobody really does. Nobody likes to be told, you know, you're not quite as strong as you think you are. You're not quite as capable 
as you might want to believe. Maybe you don't know quite as much as you really do know. You know, nobody likes to hear that. Maybe Peter reacted so strongly because he didn't want to own up to his own weakness. But I also think it's pretty obvious that, that Peter doesn't like the plan. Jesus is explaining the plan, and the plan's about to play out, and Peter doesn't like the way it's going to play out. Peter's not a big fan of what Jesus is saying. In the back of his mind, Peter's still kind of waiting for Jesus to stick it to the Romans. In the back of his mind, Jesus, Peter and the rest of those guys are still kind of hoping that you know, Israel can be restored to this place of prominence through power and through might. Not through weakness. Not through sacrifice. And I want to be sure that we're clear here too. Peter loves Jesus. You know, Peter is headed for this gigantic failure, but, but make no mistake, he's in love with Jesus. He loves Jesus. He doesn't want to see Jesus suffer. He doesn't want to see Jesus die. I get that. And that was very hard for Peter. It would have been hard for us as well. Even though Jesus has not kept this a secret, not at all. Back up to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus has been trying to tell these men exactly what's going to happen. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Peter says, you are not going to be killed on my watch. I won't let that happen. It's not going to happen. And in some of the strongest language, some of the most pointed language that you will find anywhere in Scripture spoken by anyone to anyone else, Jesus responds this way. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter doesn't like the plan. So he has his own plan. Jesus says, you're a stumbling block to me. You're making claims that you can't back up. And what you see is the reality is, Peter's failures really start, <coughs> excuse me, as soon as they leave that upper room. Right after Jesus gives the apostles, especially Peter this morning, uh, they leave the upper room. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus wants to be alone with the Father. When they get to the garden, Jesus asks three men to go a little bit deeper with him into the garden. James, John, and Peter. Those three men go a little deeper into the garden with, with Jesus. And Jesus asks those men one thing. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me during this darkest hour? And Jesus leaves those three men and goes a little deeper into the garden still to be alone with the Father in prayer. We know what happens to James and John and Peter. They fall asleep. They just had a big meal. It's late. It's dark. It's quiet. And all three of those men fall asleep. Jesus returns not once, not twice, but three times, finds them sleeping and says, could you not pray with me for one hour? Guys, 
come on. I need you now. I need you to pray with me. Could you not pray with me for one hour? What happened to Mr. I'm your guy, I'll never let you down? What happened to Mr. You can count on me, Jesus, no matter what? Well, Peter's failure begins even, even in the garden, it seems. Well, let's pick up the rest of the pretty familiar story. It's in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus has been arrested. I'm going to pick it up in verse 57. Matthew 26, verse 57. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders of the temple. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Now skip down to verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Three times in the garden, Jesus asked Peter to pray with him. Peter couldn't do it. Three times in the courtyard, Peter has the opportunity to profess Jesus as his Lord. Peter wouldn't do it. Now remember before this spiritual meltdown, Peter's the guy who's ready to fight the Roman garrison. He's the one who's ready to fight the mob. He's the one with the sword. When they come to arrest Jesus, Peter's the one who draws the sword, cuts off the ear of Malchus. This isn't a Roman garrison. This isn't a, an angry mob. This is a couple girls. This is some men standing around in a courtyard. Wow, Peter, what great courage. Wow, Peter, that's awesome. Your statement of allegiance lasted all of a couple hours. Awesome. And of course, Peter hears the sound of the rooster crowing that sort of snaps him back to reality. What have I done? And in that moment, in that rooster moment, Peter is made acutely aware of his limitations and his shortcomings. And he's made aware of this colossal failure. And at that moment, he's completely broken. And, and he walks away and he cries and cries and cries wept bitterly. That moment changed Peter. Have you ever faced a moment like that? Have you ever faced a moment when you were so aware of your own failure? So aware of your own brokenness? 
that all you can do is throw yourself at the mercy of God because you really don't have anywhere else to go. Or maybe something happened with your family. Maybe it was a relationship thing. Maybe something happened in your professional life. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's a faith issue. Some, some kind of a failure, some kind of a, a moment where you realized, I mean, you knew, you just really knew, I am never going to be the same again. After this event, after this thing, I'm never going to be the same person as I was. You know, when that happens, that does something to our hearts. I think it causes us to respond in one of two ways. Either we, we, we get angry and bitter and we kind of retreat and we draw into ourselves and try to figure it out on our own, sort of like Judas did. Or we realize, I never did have it all figured out. I never was in control. I never was the hero. God has always been the hero. I've always been the one who's needed rescued. I've always been the one who's been broken. You know, when that happens, you start to see the world differently. And you start to see people differently. And you start to forgive a little bit more. You judge a little bit less. I think you extend grace a little more freely. There's something about getting to the other side of that rooster moment when you begin to really realize what's important in life. You start to define success and happiness a little bit differently. We value things in a different way. Maybe we celebrate more. We depend on ourselves a little less. We depend on God a little bit more. You know, at the end of Matthew chapter 26, there's really a couple trials going on. First is the trial of Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays to the Father, and God gives him the strength to be able to face that moment, the strength to go to the cross. Kind of in a way, Peter's on trial here as well, though. You know, in the Garden, Jesus asked Peter to pray with him. Peter couldn't do it. And then not long after that, Peter actually denies even knowing Jesus three different times. Jesus is very faithful in the strength supplied by the Father. Peter has this gigantic failure depending on his own strength. But we know that Jesus isn't finished with Peter just yet. In fact, when you really look at the life of Peter, what you see is a man who is nothing like he used to be. After the rooster, Peter is a different guy. He's a different individual. Jesus isn't finished with Peter just yet. He's not finished with you either, by the way. You know, God kind of specializes in using broken people. He has a way of being able to take our failures and do some pretty amazing things with and through and for the kingdom. Some of you might be familiar with the children's book entitled The Lady Who Put Salt in Her Coffee. I don't know if you're familiar with that book or not. It's about a lady who loved her morning coffee. And then one morning, instead of sugar, she actually accidentally put uh, salt, and it turned into kind of a family emergency. How are we going to fix mother's coffee? And the oldest son who had gone away to college and was very educated suggested that they call in a chemist. 
And we'll get a chemist to come in and he can do some things and maybe change this coffee to where it tastes good again. And they do that. They bring a chemist in and he does some things chemically and it doesn't taste any better. And the oldest daughter says, you know what we need to do? There's a woman down the street who has uh, herbs and spices. Maybe she can help. So they bring this lady to them with, with herbs and spices and they uh, explain that, you know, mother's coffee tastes terrible because she puts salt instead of sugar in it. And the lady put some herbs and spices in it and tasted a little bit better, but, but not much. And then the youngest daughter said, maybe we should ask the wise woman who just moved from Philadelphia. I don't know if wise people move from Philadelphia or not. That's the book. So they go find the wise woman who just moved from Philadelphia and they explain to her their predicaments. And the wise woman from Philadelphia listened to their predicament and finally said, why don't you pour it out and give her a new cup of coffee? Why don't you just start over? You know, it seems so obvious, doesn't it? It seems so simple. When you're talking about salt or sugar in coffee, it seems so simple. Pour it out. Start again. When it's our lives, it's so much more difficult. But God is still saying, I'll let you start again. Just, just start over. See, Jesus does not leave Peter broken and helpless. He simply gives him another chance to get it right. You're familiar with the, the, the ending of the Gospel of John. Jesus has been crucified. He's been uh, in the grave three days. He's risen from the grave. He's just ready to return back to the Father. But before he does that, he has a conversation with Peter. And three times, Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter says, Yes. Jesus, absolutely yes. Jesus, you know I love you. And three times, Jesus tells Peter, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus tells Peter, I don't want you to overthrow the government. I don't want you to organize a militia. I want you to be involved in people's lives. I want you to care about people. I want you to be humble. I want you to be grateful. I want you to be gracious. I want you to love the people that I love. Let me ask you a question. Which Peter would you like to have as your best friend? The Peter before the rooster moment or the Peter after the rooster moment? Who would you rather have as your preacher? Someone before the rooster moment or after a rooster moment? Who would you rather have as your elder or your next door neighbor or your coworker or your friend, a spouse? Someone before the rooster moment or someone after the rooster moment? I think we'd all agree, I'd rather have somebody after the moment. You know, I'd rather have somebody that, that's a little bit more humble. I'd rather have the more loving, more grateful, 
more gracious Peter than the arrogant Peter. And that's who you see. After Peter's newfound heart and his humility. That's who Peter is. Look at some of the things that Peter writes later on in life. And, and I, could list, I could list two books for that matter, but I stayed just in the first chapter of 1 Peter. All honor to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it's by His boundless mercy that God has given us the privilege of being born again. Peter writes, we are who we are. We are children of God, not because we've got it figured out, not because we are so capable, not because we are so able, but because of God's boundless mercy. God is the hero. And then just a couple of verses later, in verse 7, these trials are only to test your faith, to show that it's strong and pure. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You know, you read that in 1 Peter, and you know Peter knows what he's talking about. Peter knows something about fiery trials. And Peter knows something about glory. And he knows something about grace at this point in his life. Now here's the deal. God kind of specializes in using broken people. No matter how big your failure might have been, no matter how serious your issue might have become, God says, let me give you a new cup of coffee. Let me just allow you to start all over again. So, where are you today? You know, some of you might be sitting there thinking, you just told my life story. Because some of you know a lot about brokenness and hurt and struggles and disappointment. And you've witnessed firsthand how God has delivered you through that. Not that God has caused it. Not that God is the cause of the brokenness or, or the hurt or the disappointment. But you've been able to experience forgiveness. And you've been able to experience God's grace and God's deliverance. And it's changed you. It has changed the way you deal with other people. It's changed, it's changed your heart. For some of you, you might be in the middle of a rooster-crowing moment right now. And maybe you feel like your life is spinning out of control, struggling with relationships or health or finances or, or faith. I'll say this, no matter how painful it might be right now, God knows and God cares and God is with you. And I suspect that there's probably some people who are still living in kind of that pre-rooster existence. Convinced that I've got it all figured out. I know what I'm doing here. God, I don't need you. I'll keep you on call if something comes up, but, but you know, just kind of stay out of my life and stay out of my way. I, I, I've got it taken care of. To quote Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? This morning, you're ready to give up? You're ready to surrender? 
Are you ready to allow God to be the hero? God's patient. He'll wait. But why keep fighting? Why keep making him wait? Why not pour the coffee out? Why not start anew? We'll start fresh. Why not allow God to forgive and strengthen and encourage? Accept that grace. Maybe this morning you've never put Christ on in baptism. You've never claimed Jesus as Lord of your life. Well, what a great opportunity to do that. Or maybe this morning you're just, I don't know, you're putting up with salty coffee instead of allowing God to, to allow you to start again. Where are you in your rooster moment? As a church family, we would love to pray with you, pray for you, help you in any way that we can. As together we try to allow ourselves to accept the grace and the gift that God has given us. If as a family we can help you, Dave's got a song that we're going to sing as a song of encouragement. There'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium that would love to meet with you. Come to the front if, you, if we can help you in any way. Let's stand and sing.